Hi, I'm Tanua Thrash Intook, Executive Director of Los Angeles LISC, also known as LA LISC. This is the first episode of the Changemakers LA podcast. Changemakers LA is an inaugural podcast of LA LISC. It's a tribute to the people and the policies that make Los Angeles neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. We see this as a six-part series and is a forum for contemporary changemakers and LISC partners to share how they tackle pressing issues of affordable housing, economic development, transportation, and safety in a time of growing prosperity and unfortunately at the same time of growing inequality in Los Angeles. This podcast is part of Los Angeles LISC's 30 Moments series celebrating 30 years of Los Angeles LISC and its partners. For our first show, we're excited to have three guests with us to discuss the future of equitable development in Los Angeles, especially after a few big victories at the ballot box, both this past November and March. Our guests for today, first I'd like to introduce Kristen Gordon. She's Economic Development Deputy for Los Angeles City Council Member Marquise Harris-Dawson. Next, I have Shane Phillips. He's a housing advocate and board member of Abundant Housing LA. I also have Maida Sanchez, who's policy manager at SCAMP, the Southern California Association of Nonprofit Housers. Thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Great. I'm excited to have a group of millennials uh, part of a discussion (laughs) and trying to figure out what do we do about the future of Los Angeles. So you all have probably worked on a number of measures and policies that were really successful um, at the ballot box this year. Um, all the measures, you know, from, from M to A to J to H to HHH. So what do we see as the, what does that mean for Los Angeles and where's the opportunity? Anybody can start. I will start. Um, I think I'm most excited that we were able to successfully pass both measure HHH and Measure A to really kind of help us move forward with housing our homeless population. I think that was critical and key as we grow and move forward in Los Angeles. But I'm also really excited for Measure M. I'm excited for JJJ and I'm excited for Measure A also um, because I think that the voters of LA really set the tone saying that we want transportation, we want growth, we want equitable development, um, and we want access to open space. So I'm excited and looking forward to how we grow from here. So you're in a part of Los Angeles that's often left behind. What do you think these victories mean as far as development in South LA in particular? You know, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I think sometimes in the conversation of Greater LA, South LA gets overlooked and lost. And I think that um, all of these initiatives that have passed have really key and critical implications for South LA and will hopefully allow us to see some investment that hasn't necessarily been there for decades. Um, so with Measure M, we're looking at you know, transit investments on Vermont. We're looking at JJJ for us to really look at, we have a strong transit population, right? Mm-hmm. And so looking at how we can ensure that as we invest in our transit system, that the people who use that system are able to live near the transit that they frequent, right? And then I think also, again, with Measure A, um, we know that parks are a great way for us to reduce crime, improve the environment. Mm -hmm. And so Measure A was also passed based on the 
parks needs assessment, which really highlighted that South LA um, is in very high need, not just high need, very high need um, of park investment. So I think that a lot of what happened at the ballot box this year, again, HHH as well, will have some great benefits for South LA. Great. Myra, you must have been really busy this season as a policy manager over at SCAMP and looking at all of the housing activities. Tell us about um, sort of what these wins mean for the housing community. So I just want to echo what Kirsten said. I think for housers across LA County, uh, the Southern California region, really, it's a pivotal time where there's a lot of interest in housing those with the deepest needs. I think there's there was a lot of conversations and a lot of things that passed, so HHH, JJJ, Measure H, a big win. Um, I myself live in LA County, so to see voters in LA County to actually put money into something like this is really impressive. So it lets you know how much the community cares for this issue. And the other side, just politically, I think, you know, there's a lot of conversations, too, on how to move this forward. So right now we're in implementation, right? Yes, let's celebrate. But also, where do we move forward onto this? How do we create a permanent source? Um, and so I think that's always some of the biggest fights that we have in housing. And uh, something that we're actually really excited about right now is we are working on a linkage fee in the city of L.A. And that is also something that will benefit many communities in L.A. City. I myself grew up in um in a low-income neighborhood in LA City and Boyle Heights. Uh, so I know that there is an existing need. There was a need then and there is a need now. And so with the linkage fee, hopefully that will create another additional source of funding. I mean, I think right now there is a call to kind of create more more funding sources. There's going to be, I mean, there's rumored there. The budget came out, right, with a $6 billion cut to HUD. So with that amount, what's going to happen locally is really important. And I think the voters and the officials are ready to get that going, and so are the, some of the developers. Great. Shane, what do you see is happening? What's the future for Los Angeles, given uh, the kinds of uh, measures that Los Angeles County voters have passed in the last couple of cycles? Yeah, so <clears throat> I actually agree with what both Kristen and Myra said uh, overall. And, you know, looking we talked to kind of about the positive initiatives that we had, but we also had Measure S, which was kind of more of a backward-looking initiative, and, and its goal was, in many ways, to kind of stop a lot of the progress that we've planned, to, to bury our heads in the sand against a lot of these problems rather than try to address them head-on. And seeing that fail so spectacularly was actually very surprising um, to find that, despite there being a lot of people in the city who you know, have a loud voice and, and speak out against new housing pretty frequently, especially when it happens to be in their neighborhood, that those people don't really represent the city as a whole. And so it was really encouraging to see M and H and HHH and A uh, and, and all the rest actually demonstrate that Angelinos are, are open to change and they actually want to address these problems head on and are willing to invest resources in that. I think exactly what that looks like is still to be determined. Um, measure S, like I said, would have stopped progress, but I don't think the fact that it failed is a mandate for anything in particular. I think those discussions still have to happen, and um, you know, this is something I said in another interview a while back, is that we've been having this conversation at a citywide level about yay or nay to development, and now it's just going to move to the community plan level, you know, all 35 community plans and, and the residents they're in are going to have to decide amongst themselves and, and with the input uh, and, and, and access to their council members and everyone else, what, what does this actually look like now? Um, how do we implement 
measure HHH and measure H? How do we implement measure M and you know provide transit in a way that allows the people who live near it and already depend on it to stay um, where they're at rather than be displaced away from all these resources we're building? So there's a lot still left to do, and I think uh, those discussions are going to have to be the priority going forward. Great. So, you know, this is an opportunity for us to have a dialogue. And one of the topics that is uh, really front and center around a number of these policies is equity, right? And so there's this idea that we've passed Measure M, which allows us to build out more of our transit infrastructure. Uh, Measure HHH in the city of Los Angeles really starts to tackle homelessness. Measure JJJ really looks at large developments and how do we make sure people are employed and to the extent that they're the projects are large enough that there's affordable housing. But how do we, you know, what does equity mean to each of you? Um, I don't know if you're born and raised in Los Angeles, kind of looking at the landscape. We've had record opportunities for development and Los Angeles is on the map. Downtown is moving. All of the neighborhoods are feeling the pressure. What is what does equity mean now in light of the new resources we have available and just to you as individuals who are really the future of Los Angeles? You know, I think, again, we're ta- when we talk about equity in L.A., we, again, have to look at some of the communities that have been significantly disinvested for decades, right? Um, South L.A. being one of them. And I think that, I, you know, we have to also acknowledge and applaud the community-based organizations and faith-based organizations in South Los Angeles who have really, um, over the decades, tried to step in and do the work um, that we haven't seen other investments do for our communities. And I, again, I think we're at this turning point, right? And it's like Shane said, how we move forward. But I think all the opportunities have been laid out. And so I think equity um, for South LA, equity for other communities similar to South LA in the city and county is really looking at all of these different measures that have passed and looking at it from a real lens, a data-driven lens, mm. that I think what, when you put the data and you put the numbers out there, it will show where the disinvestment is. And equity means kind of going where the disinvestment has been historically and ensuring that those investments bring these communities up to the same levels and standards that other communities have seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, just to, I mean, I completely agree. I personally, I love data. Uh, <laughs> so just to echo some of the good research, so uh, CHBC, the California Housing, um, CHBC, I'm sorry. California Housing Partnership, Partnership Corporation. Corporation. They do a lot of work on researching the need and so um, there is a study that proves that there's 500,000, um, there's the lack of affordable housing, 500,000 units for LA County in itself. There's disinvestments in 2012 because of the, um, uh, uh, at the state level with Jerry Brown. And so I think also at SCAMP we try to create, um, we try to create research that kind of looks into that. So we do have something called the Outer Breach where we look at how much you know someone can afford in LA City and LA County and within the other regions mm-hmm. that SCAMP serves to try to look at the lens of, you know, how much does it take for you to actually afford a two-bedroom apartment if you're making a minimum wage job? It's gonna be somewhere between 40 to 60 hours, unfortunately, of, or over sometimes 70 hours. And so right now there's another study going out in LA County and there was a public meeting about it uh, because in 2015, the, we won a campaign for $100 million for uh, a permanent source at the at LA County. And um, there's some research going on right now looking at what is the 
cost burden uh, based on income levels. So we're talking deeply low income, extremely low income. These are all definitions brought up by HUD. So we're going from you know folks that are making twelve thousand four hundred and fifty. That's deeply low income, and that's actually when I think about equity myself. I grew up in an income of twelve thousand annually, and mm-hmm. that is not an affordable income. And even now. Um, my family's still not in, <laughs> not reaching the thresholds, and so so when I think about equity, I think about you know folks that are having a hard time paying their rent, paying a place to live in, and what does that look in in terms of cost burden? Um, there are right now I'm looking at this graph, I and mean, this is from a service planning area, but like at any level, everyone's paying over thirty percent of their income to actually live in LA County, and particularly in LA City too. So that's unfortunate because that means that we are not going to be able to afford to, you know, play in a park, to use transit to go and, you know, um, actually go to the good schools and et cetera. And that really does a, does a disservice to this area because there is a lot of talent here. And unfortunately, a lot of folks for a very long time have been disinvested. Um, so I think talking about equity obviously can go a million different directions, mm-hmm. but um, really just focusing on on housing, I think you know one of the things that's been raised a lot lately is we need a system I think where you know especially lower income communities and communities of color don't have to fear that by improving their community they will be forced out of their community. Mm-hmm. So by investing you know in transit or in affordable housing even. Uh, that that will kind of prop up the community in some way that forces out the people who don't have protections um, of, of various sorts. So I think that's that's going to be a really challenging thing to address, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's a concern all across the city and, and frankly all across the country. I really I don't know exactly you know what that solution looks like. Um, I think we need to have a system in place where. We're making space not just for the people who are already here, but for the people who are arriving and for, you know, the new households that are forming that are locals. Actually, most of the growth in L.A. uh, city and county is from people who were born here, not from people coming from from out of the city or out of the state. And so how do we accommodate those people? And, you know, more broadly, there's this I think there's a competing interest between preserving the built environment, just what we have as a city, the, the buildings themselves, versus protecting and, and supporting and enabling the people that live in those communities. And I feel like people, to some extent, try to prioritize both at the same time. And, and realistically, you have to make a choice. It doesn't mean one doesn't matter at all and the other means everything. But there are cases where you have to decide between you know, is is protecting people more important to us or is protecting this building that we care about um, or this type of structure more important? And I would like, you know, the choice in virtually every case to be the people are what we really care about, and let's emphasize that. But I think, um, you know, especially in more affluent communities, the conversation doesn't take place in that frame. We don't talk about it in terms of people. We talk about it in terms of housing and development. I think that that impersonalizes it in a way that makes it easy for people to say no. And I think if we can shift that frame a little bit and make it more of a conversation about people and their access to opportunity um, and their opportunity to stay where they they live now, Mm -hmm. it might make it 
and then make the conversation a little more uh, sane mm-hmm. and, and uh, harder for people to just say no across the board. Yeah, yeah. I want to echo um, what both Myra and Shane are saying. And I think, again, the choice should always be to lead with people mm-hmm. and um, lead, move in a way that supports the people who do live in Los Angeles. Um, and that includes people who are homeless, people who are working class, um, people who are low income, and as well as you know everyone else. But I think that those are the most vulnerable people in our communities as we look to grow. And I think that we can look across the nation and see how... Um, Many traditionally low-income communities of color have been gentrified, right? And I think that there's a real fear that is here in L.A. That, that, that we may see that. And in some neighborhoods, people have seen that. But I think, again, too, in South L.A. that we can't, speaking to your point of preservation, right, we can't let the fear of gentrification keep us from building toward the visions that we've always had for our communities, right? And that is equitable transportation. Um, that's mm-hmm. affordable housing. That includes finding ways to create paths to home ownership for mm-hmm. working class folks, mm-hmm. right? Um, and at the same time, empowering them economically, mm-hmm. um, providing access to good, well-paying jobs, mm-hmm. right? Like not just a retail establishment moves into your neighborhood and you can get a job for nine bucks an hour or more because we're increasing our minimum wage, right? But looking at how we um, make sure people in our communities have access to quality paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also how we support our local and micro entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. whether they're street vendors or brick and mortar. I think that that really kind of starts to paint the vision for how we see our communities growing and growing with the people who have been there um, and have always been there. So I think, again, it's something that as we move forward, we're going to continue to explore, um, realizing that we want our neighborhoods to improve, but we don't want people displaced. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to add that in my in my time at SCAMP, I have noticed that there is a collection. I mean, look at, you know, can you look at JJJ, ACT LA, you look at those coalitions. It was an embodiment of community-based organizations that are across the board touching in those issues. They're talking about jobs, talking about parks, talking about transit and housing. And so I think it's a very admirable thing right now to see that there is a large coalition of folks across the board who are willing to who notice, you know, it's not just housing as isolated or parks or transit, right? This is a wider conversation happening. And so it's a really impressive time to kind of get those goals going. Great. Well, LISC sees its work in trying to bring some of those tools to Los Angeles. We've got a number of tools as an organization to, that we think can help promote equity, and now it's a matter of getting them out there. So when we think about equity, similar to you, and we're thinking about how do we support microenterprise and brick-and-mortar development, a brick-and-mortar retail establishments, we've got products in place, small business products that allow for small business to anchor itself and actually purchase their own building so that they're not uh, subject to increases in rents and escalation and and pricing uh, in, in the area. So that's one tool that we've got. When it comes to residential opportunities, we certainly believe that we're trying to help local nonprofits secure and purchase sites in neighborhoods the neighborhoods that are transit rich so that they can create affordable housing and at the same time looking towards home ownership opportunities so that people who are in the area have a chance to continue to buy so i think that all those things you know along with if we've got a huge public investment like metro's doing how do we make sure that those good paying jobs are not only construction jobs but also on the operations of the the buses as well as the train and people have access to those and those are things that we see as equity and trying to ensure that there are pathways for people to get connected to those from neighborhoods. 
Shane, you hit on a point that I think, you know, for, for those of us who have traveled outside of Los Angeles, been around the country, gone to other countries, we know that the way that our physical landscape looks is one that minimizes sort of how many people we can get into a, a local space. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the fact that we've got a, the concept of grow up LA, meaning we've got to you know, look at the character of what we're building and, and maybe not build all single family homes, but try and think about how do we build multi-use, multi-story uh, establishments so that we can make room for people who want to enjoy the sunshine, beach, mountains, and all the other things that we love about LA. We'll leave out the smog and the traffic. <laughs> Especially the traffic. So, so with that in mind, uh, tell me what do you think about the future of the physical landscape of Los Angeles and being able to accommodate these various needs that we have, the needs to house people who are coming here or who are already here, as well as the needs to ensure that neighborhoods that uh, really deserve and want to be thriving places for all income levels have a chance to be here in LA. I can start off with that. So. I think this is a place where it was an under-discussed uh, component of Measure JJJ, but the transit-oriented communities overlay is basically a, uh, a super density bonus, and it only applies to areas near high-quality transit, so either where rapid buses intersect or near train stations. Essentially, it says within a half a mile of those locations, those intersections, you can build more housing than the zoning currently permits if you include some set aside of affordable housing. Usually, um, it depends on the affordability level, whether it's for extremely low income households versus very or regular low income households. Um, but it's between eight and ten, or eight and twenty percent of the total number of units. Um, so, in that way, we're able to actually create more housing overall, which we need, of course. We're able to create affordable housing along the way at no cost to the city because it's actually a cost that's borne by the developer because they kind of make up for it with the additional market rate units. And we're building it all near high quality transit where the dependence on um, driving isn't so great. And so the impacts of that new housing are not so great on you know neighbors and so forth. Uh, so that's one thing I'm really excited about and I, I think that's going through the city um, pretty soon here. But I think that's a really great example of kind of a win-win approach where we're not necessarily trading off one type of housing for another, but we're kind of propping all of them up because, frankly, even in the, you know, what we would call a, a housing boom in Los Angeles right now, it's not keeping up with our growth. Um, and so we need more housing of all types. And I see, you know, whether it's for South LA or the West Side or anywhere else, I think this isn't a way that we can remove some of the fear of development, um, which in many cases I think has been justified, uh, and, and turn it into something that is clearly a resource for the existing community as well as um, you know, newcomers and people who move between communities. You know, and I think JJJ is really a step in the right direction because, again, we're not looking at mm -hmm. things in vacuums, but we're looking at transportation, we're looking at jobs, mm -hmm. and we're looking at housing. And I think when we discuss the physical landscape of L.A., um, we have to stop feeling like density and growth is a bad word. Mm -hmm. And how we go about that conversation is, you know, to be continued. But I think we, as Angelinos, uh, born and raised, we're used to seeing our single-family homes in our smaller neighborhoods. But even if you look at the numbers, our population growth um, and, and where we're projected to grow 
is our zoning capacity cannot fit the amount of people that we are anticipating um, to to have in the city or even that we already have, right? So we know we need to build and I think we have to build up um, instead of sprawling. And again, what JJJ does is say, let's concentrate that growth near transit so that people are able to get out of their cars where, you know, being more environmentally friendly and people can get on transit and get to their destinations so that traffic also can kind of be alleviated. So again, I think JJJ is really a sweet spot for us. Um, and again, looking forward to seeing how we move everything else forward. Yeah. And so just, we all love JJJ. <laughs> and so just, you know, and having read the TOC, um, I think it's, you know, it's, a, it's really fantastic to see implementation move forward. And I think in the housing community, we're really excited. Um, but I just want to also point out that all of these measures are taxes on folks in LA City, right? These are taxes that we've, we are willing to take the responsibility. So in the campaign that I mentioned previously, um, Scamper right now is working on a linkage fee, and that is actually, you know, it's time for the developers to actually pay up to make sure that we are able to meet these requirements at all housing income levels. And so um, we're really excited for the linkage fee to move forward. Right now it's in Plum, and so we, um, which is the Planning Land Use Management Committee, mm -hmm. right? And uh, for my city folks. Uh, <laughs> and so we're incredibly excited about that. And, you know, we are trying to make sure that folks that live, live in L.A., you know, are born here, are educated here, um, want to die here, like myself, I guess. <laughs> Live and die in LA. <laughs> you know, I was going to say that eventually. <laughs> uh, you know, I I love this city, and uh, quite frankly, we got squeezed out. We're, I, we're in LA County, I'm in Pico River right now, and I am living in not the best situation, of low-income family, but I would love to come back to LA City. And so that is... I'm really looking forward to all these new initiatives to come back and, you know, be part of this great place. If I could also echo that is that I feel like um, born and raised Angelinos and Millennials, we're talking about, you know, and I think we also have to talk about housing for our working class folks. But it's scary to think that I won't be able to afford the neighborhood that I grew up yeah, in, right? I can't and afford anymore. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Lamert Park, like I'm looking at the prices steadily go up and it, it's, it's frightening. And so... I think we, when we talk about increasing um, opportunities for home ownership, we have to figure out, you know, the millennial piece because we were born here. We don't want to leave. We want to be able to reinvest in the neighborhoods we grew up in, which I think is critical, um, so that our, our neighborhoods get better for the people that have lived exactly. here. Right? We want to come back, but I can't afford to come back. But I'll come <laughs> back and do policy that benefits a whole group of folks that should not be forced to move out. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to move back one day, but I think that that's a, it's an important and it's a scary thing to think about. Yeah. I, just for the sake of conflict, because every good podcast <laughs> needs a lot, little conflict, I want to push back on the idea that developers aren't paying a fair share right now, or that that should be a priority. Um, just because I think, you know, we have a system at this point and, and not to say that developers shouldn't pay more in certain cases, and certainly I think um, you know, the motivation behind JJJ made sense where it's you're granting zoning variances or general plan amendments that actually create a lot of value for the owner of that property. And they should return most of that value in, in, some, in the form of some community benefit, whether that's affordable housing or open space or, or what have you. Uh, but I think, you know, we have this approach that's always penalize developers, penalize developers, regulate fees, etc. And 
what we've ended up with is a system where, uh, you know, we, we like to demonize particularly like the, de- the, the billionaire developers, um, but it's so hard and so expensive and so time consuming to build in Los Angeles right now that no one but a billionaire can afford to do it. Um, it's, it takes too much time. It's too uncertain. You're going to be sued. Um, you know, you, you have to sit on the property for three or five years while you go through the whole process. Um, not to say that developers should get a free pass by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, if, if we think that housing is a right, um, which is something that I believe and I think probably everyone in this room yes. agrees with, um, building housing has to be a right as well. Um, and you know, we can talk about exactly what that looks like, but I think it, it is problematic when we have a system where where those two there's such a dissonance between the two, where we, we clearly agree that we need more housing and we want housing, um, but the people who build it are are our enemies. Like that that well, that conversation has to change. I will say that looking at Measure S, you know, that was actually a way of looking at how folks like myself on the affordable housing front and private development, you know, we all understood like this, this can be just, if this passes, it's a very, very scary thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like right now the conversation is more on our side is looking at, you know, other cities have done this. This is a tool for equity. This is one of the many tools. If you look at the toolbox, if you just look at even policy link, a lot of their research, they point to a linkage fee. It's not a way to demonize, but to say like there is going to be an impact. Yes, you are going to build, but folks are going to need homes to live nearby. It is, I mean, I commute 90 minutes every day in traffic just to come here. And if I could live here and afford here, I would. <laughs> and so I think that's that's the other conversation that's coming up, right? That it's just, if you look at the other cities that have done this for 30, 40 years, there is a large benefit. And LA is, you know, it's ready to reinvent. Yeah, and I'll say that I think uh, the the JJJ implementation for the TOC overlays, the density bonuses, I think those are exempt because that's, again, something that produces both market rate and affordable housing, and that's, that's good for the city. Um, I don't know that linkage fees have been super successful um, in terms of producing large amounts of housing. So you're talking about we need 500,000 units in LA County. I think the linkage fee will produce a few hundred or a thousand maybe a year, um, which, and, and, you know, it's, it's one tool in the toolbox, so totally granted. And, um, you know, I think it's a discussion that's continuing. Um, I just, I always try to bring that up that we have to balance those competing needs and, and we have to make housing something that we can build, um, without, demonizing the people who build it otherwise we're never going to get to that goal the good of, news of is that that, uh, that affordable housing developers consider themselves de- developers mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. we don't and I haven't heard the develop the affordable housing developers really demonize themselves yeah uh, because they, cause we all see ourselves on the same uh, side of the yeah. table um, the conversation that you're starting Shane is probably our next conversation that we're going to have in our mm-hmm. change maker series that we're going to do with young professionals under the age of 35 and that is how else can can we be building housing? So linkage fees adds to you know one type of housing, but yeah. there are all types yeah. of housing yeah. that we need in order to accommodate the various different kinds of families. I'm going to allow uh, Kristen to give us our last word, and then I'm going to close this out for today. It's been a great discussion. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to also go back to what we discussed as far as developers, and I think you do raise a good point of how all these different tools we have in the toolbox do tax developers heavily. Uh, But at the same time, I think 
we have to understand that from a policy and regulatory perspective is that if you don't tell developers that they in certain and let me back up in certain communities again like south la if you do not tell developers that it is important that you, you pay fees for open space or that you reinvest back in this community to help improve and uplift this community those things won't happen they will think that they can put down their building and they can walk away and so i think there, of course, there's always two sides to a coin, and I think we're exploring the nuances of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really good point to bring up is that if we don't have the regulatory environment there to ask um, explicitly that developers do certain things in communities, in certain neighborhoods, they won't care enough to do it. Yeah. So what we've heard today, folks, is that equity is difficult to achieve <laughs> and, that and that there's more than one way to think about sort of the future of Los Angeles. But I think all three of these millennials know and believe that equity is possible and are dreaming about that. Thank you all so much for being here with us to discuss your ideas on how we ensure that the most vulnerable populations in L.A. County are able to benefit and participate in growth as that we see all around us. For our listeners out there, please join the discussion on Twitter at LA underscore LISC, LA underscore at LISC, hashtag Changemakers LA. And we hope you can make it out to our next event, Careers as a Changemaker, held this month, April 25th, where we'll be hearing more from practitioners in the field about housing innovations slash disruptions in the production of affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers LA podcast. This podcast was made possible by a generous grant from the Bank of America Charitable Foundation to spur economic gains for low-income families and communities. If you would like to support LA LISC or learn more about our work, please visit us online at www.list.org slash Los Angeles or follow us on Twitter at LA underscore LISC. Our host for today is LA LISC Executive Director Tanua Thrash Intook. Production support was provided by Miranda Rodriguez and the Donias. You can find the rest of the series on SoundCloud. Subscribe to LA List page to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles.